Well, today we're in a series called Stop, and I hope I don't trip over this stop sign. I hope I just glaze right over it like I do my California stops. I have been accused. I have been accused. People have lied about me and said terrible things about me cruising through stop signs, but I am guilty as charged. We don't really like to stop, especially in our, our busy culture. Um, and stopping means that somebody else passes us up. And how many like it when somebody passes you up? Not very many of us do. Uh, you know, the truth is um, stop signs are actually good for us. Stop signs, they bring order and they bring safety. They bring control. Uh, stop signs actually help keep the flow. They keep things moving well and moving good. Um, there are a lot of things in life that hinder us from moving forward. And during the series, Pastor has talked about some of those things. In week one, we talked about stop doubting. And in week two, we talked about stop the drama. Man, that was a good message last week. I was like, man, that hit home. That was so good. Man, I don't, I don't have to deal with drama. And if I'm dealing with it, it's my fault, somebody. So listen, go online if you haven't listened to those messages and check them out. Well, today we're going to talk about stop living in denial. Somebody say, stop living in denial. You didn't. Some of you tried to say it like me, and you're not me. So say it like you. If you want to get a little sassy, go ahead. But say it like you. One, two, three. Yeah, see? Okay, hey. I'm not... I don't know who said that over there, but I'm feeling that too. Well, here we go. We're going to talk about it. There's a lot of things that we could stop living in denial about. But the first thing I want to talk about today is, is let's say, stop living in denial and how we perceive. Somebody say perceive. Perceive what, you might be asking. Well, in how we perceive what it means to be a Christian or how we perceive to have our identity in Christ as a Christ follower, as a believer in Jesus. So how about you? How do you perceive your life as a believer? Your life as somebody who loves Jesus. And maybe you're not a believer today. And of all the things you've heard about religion and about people who are Christians, what do you perceive the life of Christ is all about? What do you perceive being a Christian is all about? Pastor mentioned last week that we often blame God and the devil for a lot of stuff in our life. And how many know that's so true? And I've been so guilty of it myself. But I'm telling you, about five years ago, God brought a new freedom in my life. And he began to help me to stop living in denial about whose fault everything is. And I began to realize that everything ain't God's fault. And I began to realize everything ain't the devil's fault. Listen, we can cast blame on God when things go wrong. And we're living in denial when we do that. And we're also living in denial when we give the enemy credit when things go wrong. He really is not that powerful anyways. And the question for you and me today is, who do we blame when things go wrong in our life? And we're talking about perception, and perception is very powerful. And as long as we point to external things, and our perception is that it's his fault, and it's their fault, and it's God's fault, and it's the enemy's fault, and it's their fault, we never look to the inside of us and ask God, God, is there perhaps something inside of me that you want to change. The truth is, by the way many believers live their life, it would appear that we are more convinced in the lies of the enemy than we are our powerful God. 
Can I say that one more time? By the way many of us believers live our life, it would appear that we are more convinced that the lies of the enemy are more powerful than the God we serve. I know this because I've been there before. Don't get me wrong. The pressures in life, they're so real. They're very real. But in the light of the promises that we have in Jesus, there's nothing too hard for him. And I'm going to go out on a limb because my wife told me, baby, stick to your notes because you're going to get in trouble when you stick to your notes. So this is the first time I'm not sticking to my notes. But sometimes as believers, the way we post our things on Facebook, the world is looking at us going, well, I thought you served a powerful God. You're, you're out here begging everybody to come help you and begging God to help you when he already gave you all the help he needed to give you in Jesus. Okay, I'm done. Just coming back to my notes here. But I want you to know that there's, there's no marriage issue that's too hard for God. There's no financial issue. There's no health issue. There's nothing too hard for him. And, and honestly, at the end of the day and at the end of things, it doesn't mean it's over. When marriages end, it's not the end of hope. When somebody dies to a terminal disease, it's not the end of hope. When you lose a relationship with a beloved family member, it's not the end of hope. You know why? Because the God I serve knows how to bring beauty from ashes. And the God I serve knows how to give second chances. And the God I serve is a victorious God, and there's nothing too hard for him. I don't know what perception you have of him, and I don't know what kind of God you serve, but that's the kind of God I serve. And even when physical death looks like it has a final say, can I give you some good news today? Your physical death is the time that you receive your best healing in life. You get a new body. Your, your soul is absolutely finally renewed forever, and you will never deal with death ever, ever again. We're living in denial when we perceive our life in Christ, sub-point number one, with partial victory in mind. With partial victory in mind. For most of my Christian life, I read scripture after scripture about how defeated the enemy was. And for some reason, I couldn't get my thought patterns and my beliefs and my conversation with others to get in line with that powerful truth. And every time I opened my mouth, it, re it revealed the fact that I was a believer living like I served a God who had some of the victory and not all the victory. Do you serve a God who has all the victory or do you serve a God some of the victory. And I don't say that to make anybody feel bad in here because one of the things I've learned, and, and you're going to learn this the longer you serve Jesus, that your journey as a believer and understanding who God is is part of the beautiful mystery that is continually being revealed to you. You will continue to find how amazing and how powerful he is the longer you live on this earth. He will be more powerful when you die at 80 than he is right now when you are 20. I know you think you got it all. I know you just got out of Bible college. I know that you read your Bible more than the average Christian, but I'm going to tell you something. He never stops revealing his amazingness to you. He's a good God. I'm here to give you a new perspective today. You don't have to believe me. 
but look into the word yourself. Because I want to tell you something. Preachers say a lot of things. People say a lot of things. But until Jesus comes and gives us a revelation to you, it doesn't matter what anybody says. You need your revelation of him. Because you can walk out of church every single Sunday and amen the preacher, write down some good notes and be like, that was good, walk away, and that was a good word he said. But until it becomes a good word that he said, it will never become something that your heart lines up with. So how about you? Are you a believer living in partial victory? Would people think you serve a victorious king by the way you put things on Facebook and by the way you talk and by the way you pray? Or would they think you serve a God who has not actually won the battle over sin and death? Do we realize as a church that the enemy was defeated? I'm going to bring some good news to you. He has no power over the believer. I don't, I don't care what the exorcists say. I don't care what the demon chasers say. I know that my word says that when God does something, he does it perfect, he does it right, and he does it really good. And when he went down into hell, when he was crucified, he whooped up Satan, he took the keys, he locked them up, and death, hell, and the grave has been conquered. He's victorious. That's what the Bible says. The only power he has over you and I as a believer is when we choose to believe the lies that he says. He has no power over you. But when you come into agreement in your mind with the lies that he says, he has a lot of power. But you're the only one that can give it to him because it's been taken from him. He can only, y'all got one of them friends? It is not hard to get rid of them. Bye. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Bye. I love if you're struggling with belief in this area, believing that you serve a victorious king, I want you to listen to what the word of God says. Don't listen to what I say. Colossians 1 and 3, 1 and 13 says this. It's up on the screen. It says, for he has rescued us from dominion. That word dominion means power, authority, and control of darkness. Who's the king of darkness and the prince of darkness? L little K, by the way. And he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you are rescued from the control and dominion and power and authority of the enemy. And he brings you into the kingdom of his son, a brand new kingdom, a whole different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that operates way different than the kingdom of earth. And it says, and in him and in this kingdom, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Here's what's so good about this good news is you could never have that kind of victory on your own. And that's the only reason why you're living with partial victory in mind because you don't believe that his victory is your victory. But that's actually what the word declares. The word declares that if you're in Christ, he is in you and his victory is your victory because you are never strong enough to get victory on your own. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is the believer under the control of the enemy? Is he? No. Why? Because he's took us away from the authority and rule of the enemy. And he's restored you. And he has forgiven you. And every time we perceive something less than this, we are living in denial with partial victory in mind. That's, that's why we need to stop living in denial. Because it hurts us. If you believe that you have 
that you're serving a God with partial victory in mind, I want us to repent right now in this moment. You know what the word repent means? Some of us think it means feel bad about everything you've done. The law already makes you feel bad about everything you've done. You don't need to feel bad about everything you've done. You need to change your mind. That's what repent means. Change what you think. And so here's what we're going to do. If you're struggling in this area, I want you to close your eyes and repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I repent right now. I've been serving a God with partial victory in mind. And I change what I believe about you. I believe you're the victorious king. I believe your victory is my victory. Amen. Come on. It feels good to declare the truth. It feels good to declare the truth. And sometimes the truth is just too good for some people because they just, they don't like walking out of church unless they feel bad about himself. But feeling bad about yourself don't help you do anything. Serving the victorious king does. Pick your head up. Pick your chin up. Know that the king of king loves you and he's calling you in and he's transforming you and he is changing your mind. He is changing the way you think today. And God says to you, my beloved, stop living in denial. My victory is complete, and I have given it to you. Start acting like it. Start talking like it. Start praying like it. Start believing like it. Start talking to your kids like you believe that over them. Start talking to your husband like you believe that over him. Start talking to your wife like you believe it. Start talking to your crooked boss like you believe it over him. Okay. That, that wasn't in my notes either. John 8. 36 says, so if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. It doesn't say if the sun sets you free, you're kind of free. No, it says you're actually free indeed. Someone in this room probably needs a shout, I'm free. So go ahead. Man, you're a little weak this morning. Somebody say, I'm free. I almost asked Clay to get me a little B3 right there. But y'all were a little weak for a B3 this morning, so I'm not going to ask for one. Some of you don't know what a B3 is, it's okay. We're living in denial when we perceive our life in Christ with punishment in mind. Punishment in mind. We're living in denial in our relationship with Jesus when we think when we're in Christ that there's punishment down the road for us. When I think God is punishing and withholding from me, I'm in denial. I need you to hang on with me as I get through this point. I need you to not, not be judging what I'm saying right now. I need to, let's get through the whole point, to hear the whole context of what I'm about to say. Every bad thing that happens in life is not punishment from God. In fact, sin entered the world. That is the punishment of the world. And when your mess up friend messes something up and it affects you, it is just sin in the world. It's not because God is punishing you. It's because sin has entered the world. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And let me be so bold to say this, that if you want to serve a God that punishes you, go for it. But I'm going to bring some good news to the rest of us and the rest of you who choose not to believe that. Jesus didn't come to punish you. He came to give you life. And in fact, God actually punished his son instead of punishing you. And you can clap if you think that's good news for you. 2,000 years ago, in fact, he punished his son for the sins of the world. And I want to say this, that his intention, in fact, is that no one would be punished. That's his heart. That's his intention. Did you hear me say intention? 
because there will be a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And it should make us weep for those that are forced to bow because his intention is that no one would be punished in the end. That's why the word of God says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the heart of the Father. Here's some good news for the church. Romans 8 and 31 says, God is for you who can be against you. You think God is punishing you? Look at what Romans 8 says for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you that much that he's not against you? Some of us, in the way that we pray, in the way that we complain, in the way that we moan, in the way that we, you know, do what we do, and, and me too, me too, I'm, I'm one of the best, ask my wife when I'm sick, and when things are array and all jacked up in my life, my, my, my untransformed mind gets all out of whack, and I, I start acting like I serve a God who is against me instead of for me. He's not against the unbeliever. He's against sin. Why? Because sin hurts, sin damages, sin brings death, sin breaks down marriages, sin breaks up families, sin breaks down your self-image, and in fact, every time we fail and we sin, we're distorting his image because he created you in his image to display his image to the world, to bring glory to the world through himself, through you. Does God discipline us? I told you to just wait. Didn't I tell you to wait? You're getting all nervous, just Wait. Does God discipline us? Of course he does. He's a good father. But discipline from the father is very different than punishment. Let me help you understand the difference. Punishment is a penalty for a payment of a wrong. And he already punished his son for the payment, the penalty of what you did that was wrong. Discipline is to correct in a way to make something right. Punishment can't do that. Punishment can't take something wrong and broken and make it right. That's why people come out most of the time more broken when they are in prison for 20 years. Come out more broken and messed up. Now if some good godly discipline comes into their world and God disciplines them while they're in their we're just picking on Joe. I mean, pick on anything. There's so many things we could pick on today. Let's say it like this. The motivation of the punisher is to hurt. The motivation of the discipliner is to heal. I'm going to say that again. The motivation of the punisher is to hurt. The motivation of the discipliner is to heal. Let's take a look at the Bible. Proverbs 13, 24. It says, spare the rod, spoil the child. Oh, Jesus, when I got a revelation of what this means, I just about fell out and went crazy. I mean, holy smokes. I mean, most of us have only read with our simple eyes, our fleshly eyes, the scripture, and it has given us permission to spank our kids, and we're not here to talk about that because, Lord Jesus, we could be here all day, and I can get in trouble. You get in trouble. I get mad at you. You get mad at me. But I want to give you another perspective on this scripture. Some believe this root word translation, uh, 
this root word rod, spoil the rod. Some of us think the root word in that uh, is the word where we get our English word wooden spoon. You thought I was going to get deep right there. I was, just, I was just getting stupid right there. You, you thought it was wooden spoon and you thought it was switch. I don't know, young people, you, you better be glad about these civil times today because there was a day when it wasn't so civil. There was a day when mama said, go get a switch off the tree. And you had to go outside and pick the own, your own branch that you were going to get beat with. And Lord help you if you came in with a wimpy old switch. And Lord help you if mama's wooden spoon broke on your hiney. Because hell hath no fury like a mama struggling with a broken spoon or some wimpy old switch. And mama, I'm going to tell you this too. Here's some good news for you too. For all the mamas struggling in shame because they got a closet full of broken spoons, there's grace for you too. I wonder if this rod the psalmist was thinking about is a different kind of a rod. In fact, that maybe it's not a wooden spoon or a switch. Isaiah 11, 1 gives us a different picture of what this rod might be. Isaiah 1 says, and there shall come, this is for the Bible scholars in the room, sorry, if you're kind of new to the Bible, just hang with us. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. How many of you know that the old covenant is shadows and they're foretelling of what things are to come? And how many of you know the Bible declares that the son of man is going to come from Jesse's son, David, and he is going to be the lion from the tribe of Judah, and he's going to rule with a whole different kind of rule. In fact, he's not going to rule with the iron fist the way that the world thought he was. In fact, he was going to come and rule completely different. And I want to submit to you today that the rod that we read in Psalms is actually Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus. It's a revelation of God's love to the world. God comes and he does something that you and I don't know how to do. He comes with love, humility, kindness, forgiveness, and grace, and he pours it on you, and he lavishes it on you. And what punishment could not do for you, his love did for you, and it began to draw you to him by the Holy Spirit and to begin to change the way you think and convince you about evil and good and convince you that God is for you and that God's ways are better for you. In fact, he's not against you at all. And you fall in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That, that's something that the parents struggle with. Love. He didn't come to punish you with his rod. In fact, he punished the rod for you. Let's give some new words to Psalms 13, 24. He who holds back Jesus, the love of Jesus, spoils his child. Another translation says hates his child. If we hold back the love of Christ Jesus, the, the full picture of who he is, his kindness, his love, his grace, his discipline, his unbelievable mercy, we might as well say we hate our own kids. And it brings some freedom to some people in the room today. Believers, let's stop living in denial, thinking that we serve a God who wants to punish us. The reality, yes, for those of you who are in Christ, is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1 tells us. 
Romans 8.31 says, what then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the God we serve. Someone just needs to just declare out loud and say this out loud, God is for me. Go ahead and say it. Somebody might need to say it again, God is for me. When you are digging yourself out of the mess that you made, you can say, God is for me. He ain't punished me with this mess. I made this mess, but I serve a God that's for me. And when you're in the mess because somebody else messed up, you can stop saying, why did God do that to me through them? Why is he punishing me? And you could stop and say, God is for me. God knows how to care for me through this. He knows how to pick me up out of this. He knows how to love me through this. He knows how to provide for me through this. The next thing that we need to stop living in denial with is with a partition in mind. Somebody say partition in mind. And if I was a pastor of this church, I might say, we're going to do part two tomorrow, but I'm not. I'm just a little executive pastor. I'm not the boss. I'm not preaching next week. So I'm going to go fast. Anybody know what a partition is? It's separation. A partition is a divide. Where do we get the idea that we are separate from God? Well, we get that idea from the old covenant. We get that idea from the holy of holies in the old covenant. Friends, I want to bring some good news to you. You don't serve God under the rules of the old covenant. You serve God under the rules of a brand new covenant, a covenant that's better, a covenant that's awesome, a covenant where God is not withholding his presence from you. In fact, the Bible says that when Jesus went to the cross, the curtain that brought separation was ripped open and the divine was gone, and when the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, it sealed the promise of the new covenant. He came inside of you. There's no separation between you and him. You can cherry pick scriptures, and you can find things and take them out of context that tell you every time you sneeze that God runs away from you, but my friend, I'm telling you something. When the curtain was ripped, it was ripped. When he comes inside of you, he comes inside of you, and he constantly convinces you of his love for you. If it wasn't that way, then we would have to say, Jesus, you got to die from the cross again because the first time you did it wasn't good enough. Can you go rip the curtain again? He ripped it once. One sin or one sacrifice once and for all. He destroyed the earthly temples and he in fact made you his temple. You are his dwelling place. First Corinthians tells us that. John 17 tells us that. There are no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you the old covenant was a covenant of separation. The new covenant is a covenant of union. We see it in John 17, 22. And I don't got time to, to get too excited here. So I got to move on so quick. We got to stop living in denial and how we do people. How do you know if you're living in denial and how you do people? Well, you say things like, I don't need you, I don't need them, I don't need a family, I don't, I don't need a man, I don't need a girl, I don't need a mom, I don't need a dad. We, we do things, we say things like that when we get hurt, and, 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 and I've said it too, and I think it's completely human and completely natural. We want to avoid pain. God created us that way because uh, sin is painful, right? He never intended you to live that way. You weren't, you weren't intended to function the way that you function today. But people cause a lot of pain, so we learn to be people avoidant. People avoidant is simply this, when we avoid intimacy and social interactions with the family of God. 
Because God created, created us and his family in a really unique way. Ephesians 1.5 says, in fact, that when you come into the family of God, he adopts us into a brand new, somebody say family. Family's full of people. He didn't create us to live this life in Christ alone. He created us to do it together. In fact, he brought us into a brand new people. And I'm sorry if you're somebody who doesn't like to be around a lot of people, but he has not called you to be a social butterfly, so it's okay. You can relax a little bit. He hasn't called you to get up into every church function, but he has called you to get into the family of God. Let the family of God help you. We were not created to live alone. Hey, listen, whether you had a good experience in your family or a bad experience in your family, I don't care what kind kind of experience you had. There ain't nothing like being in the family of God that can teach you what the new family of God is all about. Because your family maybe was a white family. That, that don't, that's not the family of God. Your family maybe was a black family. And, and, and if you adopted somebody, good for you. You're like, hey, we, we adopted an African-American or we, we adopted a Hispanic son. And we look more like, no, you don't even look like the family of God either. You know what the family of God looks like? The family of God is full of all genders. The family of God is full of all cultures. It ain't, it ain't about just black people from Africa, but it's about people who are black from Jamaica too. And they're not African American, somebody. Shout. He makes people all different colors. Dark black, chocolate, milk chocolate, butterscotch. Okay. I don't, I don't even know what butterscotch is, so I'm going to move on. Because I feel like I might be getting in trouble right now. But you can't know what the family of God is like until you get around all his people, all genders, all love. And he ain't Democratic. He ain't Republican. He ain't a liberal. He's Jesus. And his family is way different than you. In fact, when we separate ourselves from people groups that don't think like us and that have different ways of serving world problems than us, we are holding God's family at bay. I pray for the day that the church has all genders everywhere, all colors everywhere, all political preferences everywhere because it's going to get messy up in the church. And we don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to deal with it either. But that's what the family of God looks like. Finally and lastly, I'm a minute over, but I'm doing good. In the family of God, in this new family, I need this family because people admonish me. What's the word admonishment? They warn, they advise, they caution. Proverbs 11 tells us where there's no counsel, people fall. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful for the people who caution me. I'm so grateful for my wife when I write my sermons that she says, baby, take that part out. Don't say that. I'm like, thank you, baby. Thank you so much. Sometimes I still manage to get in trouble because I don't listen to her. But the Lord help me. Lord help you. But aren't you grateful for your friends and your boss and your kids? And they come and they say stuff to you and you don't like it uh, because you think, well, I'm older. You think I'm the boss. You think... You, you think it's all about you? No, it's about the family of God, and he could actually bring revelation to you by all the people around you. I thank God for the warnings I've received in my life. And when we shut people out, we are shutting out God from our life. We need people because in this new family, people also add value to us. Somebody say, people add value to me. Ephesians 4.29, this one's a little hard. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Come on, somebody. I ain't talking about four-letter words here. You, you, some of you who like to get all righteous about, should I say that or 
Well, that's a three-letter word. It's not a four-letter word, so that one's okay. We're, we're not even talking about that. Remember, it's about abusive language. It's about speaking curses over one another. And when we abuse our authority as a parent, when we abuse our powers as bosses and employees, or we abuse our role as a sibling, or we treat somebody less than human, when you talk to somebody with less respect because they're younger than you, they're older than you, they're in a subordinate role, uh, when you disagree with them in a disrespectful way, you are holding out the kingdom of God around you. You are treating the body of Christ with disrespect. And can I say, there are some people in here that need to hear God's voice to you. Philippians 2.3 says this, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility in mind, each of you regard one another as important as yourself. Treat your kids as important as you think you are. Treat your employees and your coworkers and the vendors as important as you think you are. Our takeaway today is this. Denial of our new life in Christ will lead us down hard roads. <laughs> Denial of our new family will separate us from the gifts of his people. I should have put some good news in that takeaway. That was like all the warnings. Sorry. I did a bad job. If you receive his word today, say amen.